0: We're going to dive into the classics of Tennessee Williams today, Carl.
1: Yeah, Lynn. Before before we start, last week you talked about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and I saw it this week. I saw it Friday, the day it opened, and my wife got a jumbo king size version of Junior Mints, which is smaller than you would get at <laughs> if you went on Halloween from like people giving out candy. So, I want to say I had an enjoyable experience. We'll talk about it later. But that but quit lying on junior mints. Don't lie about king-size junior mints.
0: Yeah. It's, that's like a you. George Carlin routine. Uh like yes. jumbo shrimp.
1: Thank you, Brian. Thanks for backing me up. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll talk to Brian Hofield and Carrie Hoke about Tennessee Williams-St. Louis Festival, about their Something Spoken series of plays. And then around minute 22, we'll talk Book Club, the next chapter. Around minute 29, we'll talk what I thought about, Guardians number three. Around minute 35, Carmen. Around minute 40, still a Michael J. Fox story. And then around minute 47, the theater roundup. We have as Let's our guests. our guests.
0: Yes, we have as our guest today... The executive director of Tennessee Williams Festival, St. Louis, Carrie Hope, and we have one of her favorite directors and ours, Brian Holcomb. Welcome. Welcome.
2: Good morning. Thank you. Hello.
0: Well, I'm excited because you have been through uh, the pandemic, you have done alternative programming and been one of the pivoters if i could say that is that is that even a word pivoters uh of programming Influencers. During, i during... call it well i
2: call it during 2020 i called it pirouetting because oh. it was a lot it was a lot faster and more
0: furious than like, pivot well one of the things you did during the pandemic was radio plays which i enjoyed i enjoyed Turning it on and going back in time and and hearing the actors uh interpret Tennessee Williams one x and that was fun, and so you brought it back,
2: yes, so- you know when, during that time, I knew we we wanted to remain a presence and just personally, I love to work and I love to keep creating and we we made a decision not to do Zoom productions because there was a, there was a plethora of them and I just I didn't think they translated well if you know what I mean and you know our our Tennessee Williams is a master at the use of you know our language like no other so I thought he was a perfect fit for a radio series and I <clears throat> I've done radio in the past and. And Brian has worked on a lot of audio projects. And um, there's a, a series, many now, a collection of one act plays that some are known and some were unheard of by the public. And uh, there's sort of just the right length for a radio production. So we dove in that first summer right away with Brian, was it a series of six or four? I can't remember. It was- Four. It's a four. Yeah, it might have been six. I don't
3: remember. Mm-hmm. I only did one. Um, yeah. was a <laughs> well, I, en- I, I
0: enjoyed them because I had never heard of, uh, oh, I had never been familiar with the place except for This Property is Condemned.
2: Right. And, you know, we wanted to fully produce them. And, you know, they were not readings. We rehearsed, they were edited, they had sound design. And I knew Brian, you know, understood the format. So he's a perfect director for the, the these kinds of uh, productions. And
0: right. you have a wonderful partner in uh, one of Carl's favorite radio stations. Oh,
1: I love it. I love Julie yeah. Schuster so much. She's, she's bringing good things to that radio station. Classic 107.3. And, and is- our,
2: our wonderful producing partners in this last series. And Um, I do want to mention Jim Doyle, God rest his soul, because he was uh, a good friend and (laughs) dear Jim would say yes to almost everything I asked of him. And I came to him with the idea. And at that time, there was another general manager and it took a little fancy footwork to get it past him, but we did. And um, yes, Julie is a queen. We love her. She makes it easy and pleasurable to work with.
0: Yeah, Jim Doyle was one of the true nice guys in media, in town, and I had seen
1: him maybe about a year or two before he died, and he. We was, saw him. We saw him at the fountain on Locust,
0: and he was so. Oh yeah, he was so. That's right. We did because we talked to him about doing something, and uh, he was so kind because he remembered how I did something about him right after he got let go of KZK when I did a radio column and thing. And he just kept thanking me so much for that. And I was just like, you are truly a gentleman. Cause yes. you know, in this biz, people come and go and get spit out. And,
1: that, and but- he, and he made the transition from pop music to classical music. And it was just his, he had the great delivery of doing that morning drive he i i told him it was the distracting classical music station because you could have it on and if you wanted to listen to it you could get involved in it or it could be in the background and can be very calming which i i think they do a great job over there at classic 107.3 and so they
2: really he, support the art, arts community in St. Louis
0: they do yeah. and uh so the the shows are on now on Saturday evenings is that correct
2: well late afternoon we pick the time when people are sort of coming home from their day and maybe getting ready to go out for the evening. So they're airing at four o'clock Central Time on Classic 107. And then they sit on their website for the following week. And then they go away. We are resurrecting them the same series of four plays in August prior to our September festival. Mm, But you can't listen if you miss on Saturday. But a lot of people are having listening parties. We're two weeks in. We have two more to go
0: um oh. and you yeah. have some of the best voices mm-hmm. best vocal actors in the biz because you have Chauncey Thomas and you have some of the people that you work with Brian in uh, glass menagerie and uh who else are some of the people that you managed to snag for this
3: <laughs> so- Brenda yep, Curran, as Ryan. you said, uh, I worked with in in Glass Menagerie twice, both on the radio and live. And she's in two of the shows I directed. Um and yeah, she's great. She's she's really delightful. I love working with her.
2: Yeah. And Chauncey came back. He he isn't in the one the the episodes that Brian directed, but we have Julie Layton, who Yeah, yeah, he's in he's in Magic Tower. Yeah. yeah. Terrific. Yeah. And Ben Nordstrom. Um who I think really took to it like a duck to water, Julia Crump. A lot of these people have done full productions with us. I I, I feel like we're forming a bit of a, a company and not that we're, we're excluding other actors in the, in the world, but, um, we do have a little rep company, um, actors who really understand Williams words and, um, when they move to the radio, there's a whole different style of acting in that you're just sort of painting the the pictures with your, your delivery. And uh, it takes a minute for some actors, but once they get the hang of it, I think it's a beautiful thing. And Ken Page is hosting again. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to think who else. It's been a few months since we taped. Peter Mayer, uh, Cynthia David, who's an actor who used to live here and has done our tribute before in previous festivals. Um, but I would love to start bringing in, I- I'd like to make this a recurring uh, production series at Classic 107. The problem is you can't charge a ticket price. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, you know, we apply for grants for these special projects in order to make them happen. But Classic 107 uh, really was a wonderful producing partner on this one.
0: Uh, well, uh, well, Brian, what's the challenges of just doing an audio show?
3: Um, <clears throat> when you're uh, attempting to do something that wasn't specifically written for that medium, <clears throat> it, it's a little tricky. In that, um, as as Carrie said, Williams's language is so beautiful, but there are many visual moments in his plays as well. Uh, the uh, the biggest challenge on these three that I did, uh, two of them. Um, well, actually, all three of them really relied on some physical action as part of their climax. And we have to forego that. So the um, same way with Glass Menagerie, I, when I was working on that, I, I remember learning for the kind of realizing for the first time how important Laura's presence is physically on the stage. She doesn't she only has a few scenes, really, but she's there all the time in his consciousness. And when you're doing that without her physical presence there, it's a little more difficult so um so my my approach was to do it as if it were an old radio show and to uh somehow use sound effects music pacing to uh, achieve the same sort of climax you would if it were on stage with a physical uh physical action um but it it's challenging it is challenging and 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 the other thing as you said that some actors as carrie said some some get it immediately some take a little bit more work because it is it's a different um it, 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 it's a different uh, uh, challenge to bring everything with just your voice actors are very used to especially on camera actors are very used to acting very subtly um and um it's, they just have to kind of rethink it a little bit do you have a foley artist that is
1: creating uh, sound effects
3: that would be me <laughs> um i yes i i i walked around the house recording door slams and footsteps and uh, and some of them i i download but um there is some there, there's sound recorded sound effects and foley as well and uh, and the music um, and as Carrie said we we do edit them too not for content but for pacing um, just because it's it needs a little manipulation you can't just kind of throw it on the air and and then it sounds like a reading it sounds like just a reading you well remember. right
1: and if if someone's doing something on stage you can see that you have to it doesn't translate necessarily for an audio production.
3: Exactly. And something as simple as, uh, you know, um, for example, at the beginning of Something Unspoken, which I think is of all the it's the best written of the one X. I think we're presenting this time. It's such a great piece, but it, it starts with someone entering someone's on the phones, the secretary enters. And there's kind of this interaction where she says, don't say anything. I'm on the phone kind of just signaling to each other. And, you know, you lose that. So we do what we can with footsteps. And um, so but I am excited I'm going to be able to do that um Later in September, so that we can do the yeah. full time uh, uh, physicalization of it.
2: And well, for I, the glass menagerie, um, oh, I'm forgetting his first name.
3: Kloppis. Oliver Oliver Kloppis.
2: Oliver Quapis composed sort of a theme for Laura Wingfield. So we felt wow. her when we couldn't hear verbiage from her. Mm-hmm. Right, Brian.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. He he orchestrated. We 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 worked on it together and. Yeah, it worked. It turned out great. It did give a very yeah. nice yeah. tone to it. And...
2: My dream is to, and I've spoken to Julie about this at the at Classic, to do a live production Ooh. at their auditorium at the Centene with an audience and whatnot. And Eric it, broadcast it live. I mean, it would be terrifying on so many <laughs> levels.
1: It'd be great. Brian's like, yeah, we could do that.
2: And, you know, have an invited audience, but really just broadcast live from Clayton, Missouri. I think that it would really um, we've we've toyed with it. And I think the next outing, I think we should give it a go, at least for our first uh, installment.
1: So the first one was the Magic Tower. Something spoken is on the uh, website now exactly yeah and then uh, case of the crushed petunias is next week or this weekend and then sunburst is the week after is the week of, the last one on or the 20th thing. yeah yeah i, I think it's bad. special
0: to concentrate on his words because yeah. you know you always talk about the language how lyrical it is
3: mm-hmm. yeah conversely um you know when we did do glass menagerie on the stage there are moments where you don't need a lot of staging. You don't need a lot of blocking. It's just the two characters sitting there and let the language carry the variant. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, you know, there's the trade-offs between each uh, each version.
0: Well, that was pretty brilliant, I will say.
2: You know, and I have to say, and, and, and my sister just said this to me because she heard the radio version of Glass Menagerie and saw the full production. And she said that, she liked the radio production equally with with seeing it staged. And during that time when we were shut in, I remember listening for the final this because we aired them twice. Uh, last uh, in the original series, they'd each get a a second airing, and I was listening to the Glass Menagerie in the forest uh, in Power Valley forest bathing and listening to this beautiful play and I walked to the forest the whole time and it was just magical I'll never forget
0: it well you have a full slate this year which is exciting because you're expanding to not just festival week where you uh, pack in so many different things to see and do and experience so besides something spoken you are having something unspoken
2: The play. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: And then you have your premiere show suddenly last summer. Correct. And you have a cabaret act called The Brass Menagerie.
2: And that's in a few weeks. So, Lynn, we're trying to um, uh, fill the year out a little bit and be a presence across the year so that we're not like Brigadoon and only
1: appearing for two weeks out of the year. (laughs) What a wonderful analogy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So we have uh, the Brass Menagerie in two weeks at the Curtain Call Lounge, which is one of our favorite venues. We've done a few things there over the years. And Amy Jo Jackson and her musical director, Brian Nash, do this amazing cabaret with the words of Tennessee Williams put to Broadway show tunes. And when I first heard about it, I saw it in Provincetown. I, I actually had tickets and I thought, oh, gosh. I don't know if this is going to be my cup of tea. So I actually didn't go the night I was supposed to go. And I had a friend who I highly respect text me in the middle of the night saying, you can't miss it. The next one is tomorrow morning at 11. And I thought, okay, I'll go. And (laughs) I'm telling you, I never wanted it to end. It's hilarious. It's thoughtful. It's really unforgettable. And the two of them are just so talented. And, And she presents sort of a TW 101 during the course of this uh cabaret length show with uh Broadway show tunes and The Glass Menagerie was really one of my favorites because she did it to the score of Gypsy Hmm. so we get to Rose's turn it's like (laughs) (laughs) really the all the lyrics are are lifted from Tennessee Williams plays and that's it that's not a stretch That's great. Amanda. Instead of uh in suddenly last summer, instead of uh she did the um company and instead of uh being alive, it was eaten alive.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh (laughs) that's great.
0: That's so we're doing
2: a two-night gig with that, the first one being a benefit for the festival. In August, we have the Tennessee Williams. Uh, suddenly this summer pool party, uh, which is a really nice fun annual fundraiser. And then we the festival is September 7th through 17th. And as you said, we're we're headlining with suddenly last summer at the new Burgess Theater at Coca.
0: Which is beautiful.
2: After being, you know, in parking lots and circus tents <laughs> and porta bodies and trailers the last few years, we're happy to be back on the boards in a really beautiful venue.
0: And you have um, Tim O'Sell. How right. did you uh, uh manage to get him out of retirement?
2: Well, he's not fully retired. He's actually at APT American Players Theater now in Wisconsin for the a couple of months directing. But he picks and chooses, so it's a long story. Semi
1: retired.
2: Semi retired. We we switch plays and we switched a uh, uh, time of year because he wasn't going to be available when we were going to produce in June, but then he became available in September and he happens to love Suddenly Last Summer. So he he's back and James Wolk is back and uh, we have a really good design team. Dottie Angles is doing our costumes. Uh, Matt McCarthy is doing our lighting design. I just couldn't be happier. And our cast is a wow. I'm not announcing them yet. But oh, I, I was going to say
1: I don't think I saw it. Well, I it's think because I, you're not meant to see it, Lynn. Well, yet
2: uh, you know, as soon as we're about to spring it. Uh, but really interesting choices. Tim and I took a lot of time and were very thoughtful in in who we cast. And it's it's really lovely to work with, you know, a cast of only seven. Some of these plays have a cast of nineteen or more, and. um I don't know. I'm really, I'm really thrilled. There are a number of people who've worked with us a few times before uh, some actors who are from St. Louis, but don't necessarily live here anymore. And some newcomers who I met during our casting and uh, really happy about that.
1: Well, well you can get, get be... everything at uh, TWSTL.org. That's the website to get the latest and greatest.
0: Yes. yes. And we'll have you back when we have a, uh closer to suddenly last summer with the cast. And uh, I'm excited because you're going to do the U city years, the university city years. So we will delve more into that of Tennessee Williams in uh, influences. And, yes, that's
2: and, the- and we're basing the whole festival in university city. I mean, he did, he is an alum of U city high and um, we're doing a product, actually something unspoken will be at mayor. Um, Oh, my gosh, I'm forgetting his name. The mayor of (laughs) U-Cities mansion on Del Mar. Oh, excuse me. Mr. Mayor. And he's been generous enough to open up his beautiful mansion that looks like it's in the Garden District where um, something unspoken takes place. So we'll be doing a staged reading of that play there. And Brian's directing that with the original cast from the radio production. And... All of our panels are centered around his years in New City. We're doing a City walking tour. We're doing our Beatnik Jam at at Blueberry Hill in the Duck Room, not the Duck Room. We're doing it in the Dart
1: Room. Uh,
0: okay, yeah. So I was going to say maybe the Elvis Room. Do they still have the Elvis Room, Carl? Not
2: they
1: the, have lots uh, of rooms at at yeah. Blueberry Hill. <laughs> yeah.
0: but, well, uh, it's it's been such a delight. Anything you want to add before we wrap up for the day? No, I
2: just, I, I'm glad we're launching into our eighth season. It's gone quickly. I'm still here. I haven't collapsed from it all yet. Eight? <laughs> oh, Not wow. Not from this though. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing.
1: Brian, what are you working on or what can you tell us?
3: Um, um I'm actually, uh, collaborating with my old friend, uh, and collaborator Ken Quapas <clears throat> on a, uh, project that we can't really talk about yet but we're very excited about we've optioned a book and we're uh and we're uh, trying to turn it into a movie
0: very mm. cool because bring the magic ken's, back ken's one of my favorite people belleville's own and yeah. i do have his autobiography
1: it's a great book.
0: Carl, if you ever want to read it because it's really delightful a, it's, i
1: have my own copy thank you <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay well, Harry Brian, well, thank, thank you for
1: being on with thank us you. today Nice to see you again, Lynn. Nice to see you, Carl.
2: Talk to you all soon. Bye. Thanks.
1: That website, again, is TWSTL.org. Lynn, you saw some movies this week. What did you see?
0: Yes, I did. Okay, so I saw Book Club, the next chapter, which is aimed for my tribe. The, women
1: of a certain age.
0: Yes, women of a certain age that are senior citizens. And uh this is a uh this shares DNA with Mama Mia. These are four well-healed, uh well-preserved women. James well, how are they are
1: they well are they well preserved via surgery or just by keeping themselves clean?
0: I think uh uh some of it's uh, some of it's definitely surgery. Some of it is the the other. Uh, but um, I'm not sure if Candace Bergen's had work, but I think the rest of them have.
1: Jane I mean, Fonda for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. She to the point now where she's not looking right. OK, so it's Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, Mary Steenburgen and Diane Keaton. Three of the four are Oscar winners. Yes. And the one who isn't an Oscar winner, Candace Bergen, has a gazillion Emmys for playing right. Murphy Brunt. So, very well respected women. And in the first one four years ago, this was about restarting their limbs and their libidos of, after reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, yeah. this one. They have the same guy hookups. Uh, They have uh, Don Johnson is uh, Jane Fonda's significant other. And Andy Garcia, who played a bachelor pilot uh, with Mm. a fabulous Arizona estate, is uh, hooked up with widow Diane Keaton. Uh, Candice Bergen is kind of a lone wolf. And Mary Steenburgen is married to Craig T. Nelson, who has a heart attack.
1: Uh-oh. And
0: she's being overprotective to him. Well, Jane Fonda gets engaged to Don Johnson. And apparently, I don't remember much about the first movie, but apparently they were old friends who hooked up again in later years. So uh, they decide that they're going to go to Italy for a bachelorette party, the trip that they never had because they so wanted to go there. But then Diane Keaton was married, got pregnant. And that was that. So Mary Steenburgen is a restaurant tour. It's, it's set in modern day because it deals with the pandemic where they're all on Zoom. And, uh, Mary Steenburgen is a restaurant tour in LA, but she had a her place because of the pandemic. So, she uh, went to cooking school in Italy, and her her uh, cooking instructor, Chef Gianni, Gianni hmm. she meets again, and uh, they go to Rome, Venice, and Tuscany, and he, talk about. He's been. It. He's
1: he was nominated for an Oscar too.
0: Oh well, Giancarlo Giannini was. He's yes. he plays the police officer. He was a hot deal back in the 70s. He was nominated for Lena Vittmiller's movie Seven Beauties and he So wait was a minute. Off. They
1: have they have a character n- that is named after one of the real people in the movie? No, well he's Giancarlo
0: Giannini, but but the the chef is Gianni.
1: Oh, okay. Well that's a little confusing.
0: Yeah, I know. And so, uh, Giancarlo, but it doesn't—it doesn't, it doesn't matter,
1: and none of the people watching it care.
0: Yeah, well, G- G- Giancarlo was in Swept Away. Now, in the seventies, oh. these were really steamy movies, right? And uh, so now he's eighty. He's been in James Bond, and he's been in all sorts of things. So he has a small role. Well, as you expect, the girls bond. They talk about life. They have a lot of jokes about body parts. They um they are flippant with the double entendres and especially when they're surrounded by naked statues.
1: <laughs> Is it better than 80 for Brady?
0: I didn't see 80 for Brady and, and nor should um, you. And um I think uh I think people who like this Genre. This is an underrepresented group, as we know. So it's cute. I think it's a little too contrived and superficial, but if you like the whole Mama Mia vibe, if you like a beauty, you know, like Nancy Meyer, queen of the decorator porn movies for women. Mm-hmm. If you like that, this is a travelogue. They all have beautiful homes. They wear beautiful outfits. It's one of those movies. They don't have a care in the world. Money just magically appears for all their calamities. And so it's a it's very much a fantasy, a fairy tale for the, for the um, AARP crowd. Yes.
1: but But at least it's made by the same people. It's not like it was a money grab. They had fun doing it. They're doing the same people are involved that created it that star in it since I, I give it credit for not just trying to say, well, if not all of us can do it, we won't do it. They're all in and they're all doing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And plus
1: (laughs) you're, you're not selling it, Lynn. Well, I mean, it's going to make, it's it's slight.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not on, I mean, they sell it, you know, it's very predictable. They sell it. And they're all good actresses, so it's you know totally far fetched <laughs> but okay, but you know, hey, if you have knee repl- they have jokes about knee replacements and you know things like that, and they uh, apparently they've known each other for fifty years. they must have gone to school together
1: <laughs> okay, well, I'm still not going to watch it.
0: Well, it's not your, you know, demo. Speaking of your demo, yes, speaking of your demo, what did you think of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy?
1: All right, so you and Max both did not, Max hated it, you thought it was fine. I loved it, I really enjoyed it. I liked almost everything about it. I had a fun time. It was a first of all, you have to realize that the last couple of marvel movies have been not good. And right. so I'm glad that they're back to having fun and it I it it concerns me now that James Gunn has gone to DC, are they going to have fun like that again? So I hope what? Do you think not, they are or do you think that that's No, I mean I, I
0: don't know because I I think they'll have Guardians in some form but not the the they're not going to get the band back together because Right. Gamora and Drex and uh, Mantis. Yeah, they have all said, we're done. That's right. it. But yeah, I they do...
1: might go work for Gunn in the DC universe.
0: Right. I did like the comical relief between Mantis and uh, Drex.
1: I, I, I had a good time. And I the yes, the torture scenes are great. The F-bomb was unnecessary. And actually, I'm surprised that it took 30. Since it's they've all been PG-13, I'm surprised there hasn't been one in any of them before.
0: Well, they pushed this PG-13, I think. And Rocket and I, brought yeah. a tear to my eye.
1: Yes, I, I teared up two times during the film. I thought it was really well done. I enjoyed it. Some of the needle drops are you know, he's he's moved on from classic rock because he's got the the in there, and you know, starting off with Radiohead "Creep," that that he it's not just classic rock anymore. The Zune goes all the way to the this century, yeah. but I liked it, and I don't. Um, uh, I'm you and Max are in the minority on this. I think it's getting better reviews than. A lot of the i mean it's much better than quantum mania it's better than the eternals um it's on par with wakanda forever i think ah so i enjoyed it there were things that i i'm going to nominate i'm saying this right now and i even have a reminder in my phone in december best scene is that fight scene in the hallway once the entire guardians are back together that is a fantastic scene that I wish I would have seen in 3D. That's the only scene in the movie that I said, ooh, that would have been great in 3D. That fight scene I'm nominating for best scene because it is a fantastic and well choreographed fight scene, which you don't see a lot anymore. It, like John Wick is an anomaly. That is really well done, that fight scene.
0: I I agree. I think um you know I I did point out the good things in it uh, especially the emotion brought back but I do agree about uh you have to have seen volumes 1 and 2 and the holiday special
1: to well, understand no, I... what's going on. I was talking to Mark Cox and he watched Volume 2 right before it and he said he did not feel that you had to watch Volume 2 he felt that you had to watch Infinity War and Endgame to actually understand what's going on. So what you're saying is you had to have watched four movies and a TV special. So yeah.
0: Well, the holiday special is surprising It um, is
1: it's really good and and they make allusions yeah. to it through the entire thing. But if you want to know what's going on with Gamora, first you have to have seen the first one. The second one is, you know, it is what it is, and it, it it has some it has some good points in it, but it's not as it's not as good as the first one. But also, Infinity War and Endgame a lot of major pop plot points are left over from that. And I would even say you have to watch the first 10 minutes of Thor love and thunder to understand what's going on because, yeah,
0: well, they're all being interconnected. That's for sure. Right. But I do um, think that the holiday special was so clever and it uh, it's worth watching if you missed it even now. And uh, I do wish those characters well. And I hope we see, um, I do hope we see uh Star Lord again.
1: Well, we're supposed to.
0: Yeah, I like the you gotta say for the credits. I liked all the pictures. I liked the little nod Kevin Bacon. And mm-hmm. uh, I like Badlands in the last song.
1: Yeah, they pay they had they they had Springsteen money. That was funny.
0: Yeah, and uh I, I liked it's, all it's, that interesting. In the it's interesting It's interesting
1: that they wait. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead
0: no and, and the star lord scenes at the
1: end well i'm curious that they waited to play badlands until there was no uh story left they it was badlands is played over nothing but credits i found that interesting that it's not played in the movie at all badlands is played just on the credits that they don't have any scenes of the film they don't even have the little vignettes that they had while the credits are going on. It is nothing but credits. I wonder if that was a condition of them getting to use that. Because I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Because you know before that, when they're playing Redbone again, they they have the scenes from the last three movies and the holiday special. Then when that's finished, they go to Badlands, which is nothing but credits. I I I just found that odd.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of odd, yes. um, I'm going to talk about the art house movie this week that Which is? I'm still scratching my head about. It's oh. called Carmen. And it is huh. a total reimagining of Bizet's tragic opera Carmen. Yes. But this time we have two bright young stars in Melissa Barrera, who is in in The Heights, and she is the big sister in Scream reboots.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and Paul Mescal, a Oscar nominee, and so they are the lovers on the run in this very strange and bizarre complete reimagining of this opera by a choreographer, Benjamin Millipede. Supposedly he is a world famous choreographer. So we're going to have dance and we're going to have song and we're going to be in a desert in Mexico. And then we're going to be across the border and going to LA and it's very gritty and they decided to make it really artsy like a pedro Almodovar movie where they use the color red and he loves this guy millipede loves doorways and he mm-hmm. loves to film people running and so you have nearly two hours of this head scratcher but it's oddly compelling because the two stars have chemistry really intense good chemistry and what they've done with the artsy stuff they just forgot to tell you any backstory or character development or really what's kind of going on because you and it really
1: has nothing to do with the opera at all besides the name and the characters yeah
0: yeah and uh it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival and now it's opening I guess wide in the, the U.S. but it's been you know around and uh
1: so it's is not been, eligible for any awards at all no because it's no, been out well, since yeah, September it,
0: right so now they're bringing it out and it's at Plaza Frontenac starting Friday and I don't know if it's anywhere else but it's it's just like, you have so many questions. Like People why either this...
1: love it or hate it.
0: Yeah, why is it so weak? But it is very dreamlike. It's magical realism. I would call it an experimental. Uh, I I would call it an experimental film. One of the key elements that's a big plus is Nicholas Bertel did the music and the songs so we know him as a brilliant film composer
1: well he did Uh, moonlight
0: yes and he did don't look up and he if beale
1: street could talk
0: yeah and he won an emmy for the theme to succession
1: ah the show you love are you happy how it's going are you caught up
0: um i'm not caught up yet so I'm um, and in, and, and everybody. Did you it did Barbie. you
1: watch did you watch Connor's wedding? No, that's yet. that's the name of the episode that everything changed. But you've been spoiled on it, so never mind. We won't talk. Yeah, about
0: it. yeah. I already know because people people don't wait. They they tell. I think you should wait a week before you spoil things.
1: Well, that least. has it has been three weeks since that episode came out.
0: I know, but people, but Variety spoiled it like the next day and sorted Colbert. But I did not watch brian cox on colbert just because i knew i would hear about what happened and i didn't want to but knew my variety alerts right there in the headline
1: well that's why that's why i saw guardians on friday the day it opened because i knew if i went to the hollywood reporter or variety or vulture or entertainment weekly they'd say what about that last scene what does this mean spoilers abound what does this mean for the and i'm and i said i need to see it on friday or else it's going to be ruined just by the press and they didn't even wait till it opened one full day to start talking about it
0: i know well i guess they assume all the all the uh you Hard know course the, with the early thursday screenings so i guess they seem this now a film that you you think you know? It's a documentary about Michael mm-hmm. J. Fox called Still, and it's on Apple Plus this Friday. But okay. if you want to see it at the theaters, it's going to be at the Alamo Draft House downtown. Good. So uh, you have the option if you don't have Apple TV Plus and you're big Michael J. Fox fan. This is going to be in the conversation at the end of the year for documentaries. Um, and deservedly so. It is done by St. Louis native Davis Guggenheim, who won the Oscar for Al Gore's climate movie, An Inconvenient Truth. Yes. He has gone on to make fabulous documentaries that we all have loved Waiting for Superman. Uh, he named me Malala, um, all sorts of really top shelf documentaries. And now he turns his attention to Michael J. Fox and he does it interestingly because we all we all love Michael J. Fox. And, uh, you know, he was uh, this everybody loved him in the 80s, his TV show, his movies. He's won five primetime Emmys. He's uh, become, he he received the Oscar for the humanitarian award last year, because in 1991, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And what he has done to spread awareness of this is remarkable. And uh, as you can imagine, it's been very tough on his wife of 35 years, Tracy Pollan, and his yeah. four children. They have four children together, and his career, but he has a tremendous outlook, and he also uh is he's so funny and he's so witty and charming, and you're just you know, he's one of those guys that you're with. You're gonna and be I with. met him.
1: You I did met him. I met him in, I guess it was 1990 for maybe 1991 for Doc Hollywood. He was in town. He came to the radio station. He did our show and he did Corcoran show. So I guess that would have been summer of 1991. Corcoran had him do uh, like uh, hospital gurney races. And he was like, whatever, because he was, this was when he first had Parkinson's and he hadn't told anybody yet. So him doing physical comedy was great, but also not great because he was trying to keep that under wraps. And then he came to, he came to Keishi after he was over at KSD. And, and I'm like, hey, how are the gurney races? And he's like, that was a thing. And so I, I mean, I only met him for a couple of minutes, but he was really nice. And you could tell that, he was very private about a lot of his personal life stuff, and I'm glad I got to meet him before uh, everyone started to worry about him, because that's what that's what happens, and I'm sure that's what happens in the documentary.
0: Yeah, and uh, he has a lot of uh, well, first of all, there's a lot of great clips of his career, and you forget how young he looked mm-hmm. when he he's five four. Yeah. And uh, when he started women, he won uh, three or four Emmys in a row. And then he has also won Emmys as guest stars. Right. Because he did The Good Wife. He did Curb. He did Boston Legal. He's he's become a master at being the, you know, the uh, guest character in a lot of things. But uh, his movies, we know Marty McFly. He was Mm -hmm. Marty McFly because He, in 1985, he became a big screen sensation as well. So I used to love him on Letterman because he'd be so game and fun. And he'd, uh, you know, he just, he didn't take himself too seriously.
1: Yeah. And it was interesting. Once you, once you know about his diagnosis, he never stopped moving because he didn't want people to see him shake because he has Parkinson's and it it's uncomfortable watching because he's always jostling because he, he takes these medicines to calm the Parkinson's syndrome. And he uh, he says he doesn't like those medicines because it makes his head cloudy or what, what does it say in the documentary?
0: Yeah. He talks about the meds and he talks about, he doesn't want to be still. He's not still, but it's it I guess it's a whole conundrum. Right. But you know, such a vibrant personality. Now his wife is one tough woman. So and you learn that she was too. on
1: she was on family ties.
0: Yes, well that's how they met. They've been married since 1988. Yep. So yeah. So anyway, but uh, it's worth seeing. I think it's going to be in the conversation at the end of the year. And uh, I hope that, uh, it, I mean, who's going to, who's going to criticize this movie? I mean, it's not your typical celebrity puff piece.
1: But I'm sure there are a lot of celebrities in it.
0: Yes. Yes. And then also uh, we'll coming up, which we haven't seen yet next week is the Mm Donna Summer documentary on HBO. Yes. And then we're going to have the Mary Tyler Moore documentary. So we're going to have those coming up. Uh, We also will have, uh, there's another film starting this week uh, on Netflix called The Mother with Jennifer Lopez
1: Mm -hmm.
0: as a former assassin. Ooh. It has to protect her daughter, but they're not giving mm. that to us. No, ahead of time.
1: No, that's okay. Lynn, what's going on in the theater world?
0: In the theater world, we have UB, a joyous celebration of composer UB Blake, who uh, was groundbreaking in the early 20th century, and I swear, I just can't tell you how vibrant a production this is the singing the dancing it's a musical review because we had Ron Himes on and uh you know he told us about the story but everything is it's just impeccably staged it's gorgeous the costumes are gorgeous the dancing uh Heather Beale and and Vivian Watt were the choreographer and then Robert Crenshaw does the tech choreography and it's sensational. And it's just this uplifting two hours of joy. And what's wrong with that? I mean, it just makes you feel good because it's just, if you do not have a spring in your step and a song in your heart, when you leave, there is something really wrong, wrong with, with you, you. <laughs> because it is totally delightful. And then joe hanrahan's play which i haven't seen yet is playing at the kransberg and that's about the the true story of leonard pelkey and that's where the trevor project began and joe Mm. plays an investigative reporter
1: well and also and also we are recording this early so neither you nor i have seen jesus christ superstar yet at the Fox, uh, you're seeing you saw it on Tuesday. I'm seeing it on Saturday with actually the- my
0: reviewer Chaz Adams has seen. It.
1: Ah, well, I'm not seeing it till it's almost gone uh, because I am going with the newly retired John Hewlett dragging him to theater because he hates musical theater, but he loves the album Jesus Christ Superstar. So he and I are going on two dates this week. Tuesday night, we're going to see John Anderson and the music of Yes at the Family Arena. And then Saturday afternoon, we're going to see Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, it's going to be an event that John Hewlett steps foot into musical theater. So oh, wow. now that he's retired, he's expanding his horizons still.
0: Wow. Wow! Well, it's a the, big the, yeah, the Muni is uh, announcing its casts.
1: Yes, we so have announced we've, uh, three, I believe, so far. Yes,
0: uh, well, Beauty and the Beast, Sister Act, West Side Story, and yesterday they just announced Little Shop of Fours.
1: Ah, well, four then. So three so, three to go.
0: Yeah, so I'm excited because we're coming up. It's going to be um, about a month, about a month till we uh, we hit the forest Start park. going. Under the stars, and- yeah so we have full lives, Carl.
1: yeah <laughs> a lot, a lot of things going on. Where can we find you Lynn?
0: I am in the webster Kirkwood Times. I am on KTRS with Jennifer and Wendy every Friday at 11:08 except this week I'm on Thursday because I have a family funeral to attend I'm
3: Sorry and, to hear
0: that uh, Yeah thanks you know. My brother-in-law's 93 year old dad mm. lived a good life yay, Roger good man and um
1: well speaking I, speaking of passing I want to mention Joe Nonenkamp. you might have seen some stuff online from all the media people in town Joe camp was a sales assistant at Casey for many many years he was trying to train well he was training for a Grand Canyon hike and had lost 25 pounds Joe was a big guy and he collapsed while in training and passed away at the young age of 42. And if you've ever been to a kashi event, jo- Joe, was the big hearted guy, uh tall, blonde guy, very quiet, very sweet man at our Christmas parties every year. He'd get up and do karaoke. I want to say it was Billy Joel, you'd know, or Bruce Springsteen, one of those. And the thing was when Joe's hair got tussled, you know that it was time for Joe to sing so we're going to miss Joe not in camp and uh, watch out. His doctor even cleared him to say, oh, yeah, oh, you're going to you're eligible to do this. So just be careful, everyone, when you're uh, going outside your comfort zone. Oh, so I'm
0: so sorry to hear. That. It's, it's very
1: sad. And Joe, Joe was a great guy. And as my wife said, he bought Girl Scout cookies for my daughter every year. So. We loved Joe and he was just a sweet guy. And mm, I wish I, him peace and his family some comfort.
0: And uh, today is National Fentanyl Awareness Day. Just want to bring that up. So find out yes. all you can. It's killing more people under 50 than anything else in this, in this world. And uh, everybody needs to be paying attention. And also Uh-oh. I want to wish all the moms... Happy, Mother's, happy Day. Mother's Day!
1: Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and my mom and my ins and everybody. Happy, happy to all the moms for Mother's Day.
0: And you have a wonderful wife as well.
1: Oh yes, she's a mom as well. Lynn, yes. where else can we find you online?
0: Um, uh, we of uh, the poplifestl.com dot com website, and that's where you can find the Muni casts and all sorts of theater news, and the latest in movie news as well
1: all right uh, yeah you can find you can find me on 97.1 fm talk monday through friday on the mark cox show and then you can hear me on the weekends on 97.1 and kmox with the great outdoor show and the second amendment show and you can find me online at underscore carl the intern on instagram and the twitters lynn i hope you have a good weekend and a great mother's day to you lynn
0: well, thank you, and uh, you too. And uh, one thing that book club did inspire me to do is uh, go seek out more adventures. Do it. I don't know where I'm going to fit them in, but we'll try. <laughs> You're too busy. All right. Bye. Bye. Take care, everybody. Call your mom.